Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to count how many projects you've backed on Kickstarter. Or wait, maybe that's just me. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're revisiting and expanding on our original discussion about Kickstarter games. First, we discuss a couple of games we've played recently, like 1834, Southern Pacific, Gans Shon Clever, and the Amber Mines expansion for Near and Far. Then, we talk about how Kickstarter games have seemingly taken over the hobby we know and love, and whether we think that's a good or bad thing. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word turn. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. As we mentioned in our last episode, we are running a contest to celebrate the fact that we now have 3,000 followers on Twitter. So if you happened to miss the last episode or you had just haven't entered yet, uh, all you have to do is tweet at us on Twitter using the hashtag Blitz3000 and tell us one of your favorite games that happened to show up in one of our top 100 lists over on YouTube. So we're making you do a little bit of work for this one, but it's honestly because we want to see what games you love that we also love. So tweet at us with the name of the game, whose list it showed up on and in what place, and why you love it, and make sure that you include that hashtag Blitz3000. If you do not have a Twitter account, do not fear. You can also email us all of that information at boardgameblitz at gmail.com, and you can enter the contest that way. The contest ends midnight Pacific time on July 8th, so make sure you've only got a few days left as of the this episode coming out to enter, so get those entries in quick. The winner will be getting a really awesome prize from our sponsor Gray Fox Games. You get to choose what prize you want. You'll either get a copy of Rising 5 Runes of Asteros, a copy of Champions of Midgard, or a bundle that includes both Multi-Universum and Super Hot. So make sure that you tweet Gray Fox Games and thank them for sponsoring us and this contest. If you're listening to this the day it comes out or the weekend it comes out, then we are at Dice Tower Con currently in Woo! Orlando, Florida. Yeah, so, Dice Tower Con! Yeah. Come play games with us! Yeah, so if you are also at Dice Tower Con, then come play games with us. Wait, then why are you listening to our podcast right now, silly? <laughs> yeah, you should be know. playing games with us live in person. Yes, you should. And if you're shame not at Dice Tower you. Con... Oh, no. <laughs> no shame. No shame. Uh, and if you're not at Dice Tower Con, that's cool, too, because you know what? Traveling to conventions is expensive, and mm-hmm. it takes up time. So if you're not, don't feel bad. It's okay. You can play with us some other time. We'll, you know, we go to other places, and you go to other places, probably. So, <laughs> But, yeah, come play games with us if you're at Dice Tower Con. Come say hi. Please do not be afraid to come up to us. Some people will be like, oh, I saw you, but I was too scared to say hi. And that's silly. We like saying hi to people. So come say hi to us. Yep. Recently, I got the Winsome Essence set for 2018 which is from Winsome Games. It has three different games in it, which are 1834, Southern Pacific, and London and Northwestern. And I played 1834 and Southern Pacific the other day. So 1834 is an 18xx game published by Winsome Games in 2018. It's by Eddie Robbins. And it takes place in Belgium in Luxembourg. And this is a similar game to 1830. You use the same tiles as 1830, but it's on a different map. And there are some different rules. And one of the main different rules is that normally in 1830, 
the trains come out, two, three, four, five, etc. And the four trains rest the two trains and the six trains rest the three trains. But in 1834, the four trains rest the two trains and the five trains rest the three trains and six trains rest the four trains. And rest is when the trains go away. So when you buy the new trains and the old trains go away and disappear. And that causes a train rush because you're just trying to buy the new trains before the old ones disappear. So the train rush is really fast in 1834 because it rusts earlier. And when we played, the whole game lasted an hour, wow. which is pretty fast for an 18xx that's, game. That's ridiculously fast. Is that so? <laughs> yeah. what, did, was it like? Did it feel like that was normal for this game, or was that an anomaly um, in your mind? So I, I'm not sure. So another people, it might be normal for a first play. I don't know if it'll happen again, but. We heard another group also, it lasted about an hour for them because a similar thing happened. There's a really fast train rush. In one uh, set of operating rounds, we went from the three trains to the six trains, and that's going through, like, I don't know, a lot of trains. <laughs> so a lot of trains got bought. The four trains never ran, so you bought the four trains and then never got to use them, so they were just a waste of money, basically. And then someone went bankrupt. So uh, that, that's how the game ends if, if someone goes bankrupt. If no one goes bankrupt, then it, that's when the game goes longer. So it seems like because of that train rush, it it's likely to go for someone to go bankrupt. But I don't know if people play if people play more times, then maybe they'll play more conservatively and it'll go longer. So okay. I, because the game was so fast and none of us really knew uh, what was going on, because I actually caused the train rush, but didn't realize it was going to go so fast. And then I almost screwed myself over, but I managed to dump my company on someone else and screwed him over instead. So that's why it he went bankrupt and not me. <laughs> um, so yeah, none, none of us knew that was going to happen. And we so we're not sure how we feel about the game yet, because we need to play it again to know like, what we feel but that was 1834 it, it was a very low scoring game too the highest stock price was 70 dollars at the end of the game and you start a company with a stock price from 67 to 100 dollars, and usually they go up if you're running the company but like if your company does poorly the stock price will go down and the highest one was 70 so wow <laughs> it was very interesting yeah so that's 1834 the other game we played was southern pacific which is also, Winsome Games 2018 and by Harry Wu. So in Southern Pacific, it's a train game where you, you're you auctioning off shares. And if you're the president, you can lay track, which are little cubes on this map. And the company will get more um, value if it hits cities. But then if other companies reach the same city, then the value of the city goes down. So you're just trying to like build track and not let other people build track next to you. And... Each round, more shares get auctioned off, so you dilute the shares of other people's companies. And then in this game, you can buy track from other people as well as laying new track if you're next to them. So that's kind of an interesting way to pass money between players. So I found it, a lot of winsome games are similar to me. They have like the shares that you buy and cubes that you lay and then slightly different rules. So they blend together in my mind and... Like, I don't really like them or dislike them that much. So I felt similar with Southern Pacific. But yeah, that that was Southern Pacific. And I liked 1834 better because it's an 18xx game. 
As I previously mentioned, I placed an order from Amazon.de, which is the German Amazon, a few weeks ago and got some games in the mail that I'd been wanting to try. And one of the ones that I got and have now played is the Kenner Spiel nominated game Gans Schon Clever, which is published in 2018 by Schmidt Spiel. And it, uh, yeah, it's nominated for the Kenner Spiel. So I was very interested. I tend to generally like the games that the Spiel Committee nominates. I don't know, I mean, not always, but most of the time. This is a roll and write game, but it's pretty difficult to describe in an audio format in a way that I think would be even remotely understandable. And when you look at the player sheets for this game, they're kind of confusing. There's a lot of different blocks of color and lots of different types of things that you can mark off. I'm not really going to explain how the mechanics work, but like a lot of other roll and write games, you get to do some very cool stuff on your turn, and you also get to do a little bit on other people's turns. So you're engaged all the way through, no matter how many players are playing. And what's neat about this game is when you are marking things off in different areas of your sheet, um, it will give you ways to mark off other areas of your sheet. So often, especially toward the end of the game, you're setting off these chain reactions where you'll mark something that will allow you to mark something else that will allow you to mark something else. And because of that chain reaction, it actually does, at least for me, make me feel very clever while I'm playing it. <laughs> and I, it's, it's, it's funny that the name of the game is what it is. Um, there's really no theme here at all, like most roll and write games, but I think it's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's available still on Amazon.de. I think it's been a little bit harder to get a hold of because of the uh, award nomination. But I, I've heard rumors that some publisher is picking it up and bringing it to the States, but that has not been announced yet to my knowledge. Uh, and I don't actually know who it is. I'm not like being coy, <laughs> uh, but I've heard that someone is picking it up and will be announcing that that is happening probably at Gen Con, I'm guessing, but I don't know for sure. So right now it's not available in the States, but I, I'm guessing it will be soon because it's really mm. fun. So I highly <laughs> recommend Gans Schon Clever. And that'll be in the show notes in case you can't understand my poorly pronounced German. <laughs> um, then I also got to play the new expansion for Near and Far, Amber Mines, which just came in the mail this week. And I had to talk about it immediately because I'm in love. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, as anyone who listened to our top 100 knows, Near and Far is near and dear to my heart because it's number three on my all-time game list. It, it unseated Runebound from my top three, which is a thing that I thought would never happen. So the new, I'm not going to talk about Near and Far in this episode, uh, only because it would take a long time, but the new expansion, Amber Mines, adds a bunch of new modules to the game. It add, adds the Amber Mines themselves, which are a deck of mine cards that make going to the mine and exploring a little bit more uh, random, and there's a push-your-luck element, kind of, and it's more thematic because instead of going and knowing exactly what you're getting out of the mines, you kind of have to dig a little bit to get the thing that you want. It also adds a magic track, um, and you gain the ability to learn magic spells, which are cool abilities that you can only use in limited uh, times, and they give you neat things you can do while you're out adventuring. It adds a new general store with new abilities. It adds new threat cards um, that actually give you something for fighting bandits out in the world, which is great because previously you fought bandits and just got victory points and nothing else. And these actually give you some items when you fight them. It also adds a board and rules that will make the game cooperative. 
This has pushed near and far to its limit for me. I am so in love because the only thing about near and far that I really wasn't like 100% keen on was the fact that it was competitive. Like an adventure game to me, similarly to Runebound, feels better when it's cooperative. So... It is now. It can be. And it's great. I played it two-player. Uh, I actually streamed it on the Board Game Blitz Twitch channel. As you're listening to this, it will have been a couple of weeks ago. My friend Kathy and I, who played through the base game campaign together, played the cooperative mode two-player uh, and had a blast with it. And we won, which we didn't think we were going to. Uh, so that was fun. I love, 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 love this expansion. If you like Near and Far... You should 100% get this expansion because it doesn't make the game any more complex. It just adds a bunch of cool stuff. And the modules are all interchangeable. You don't have to use all of the modules while you're playing the game. Uh, And the modules, I think not all of them work with all of the modes. Like, I think some don't work with arcade mode or things like, or the character campaigns. It also adds a couple new scenarios. And there's more story points. And it's awesome. I can't talk about it enough. It's so good. Near and far. Amber Mines. Ryan Lockett. You're my new favorite. <laughs> I I don't know what to do with myself because I love it so much. But woo, that box is heavy with all the content in it. That near and far box. It looks uh, not so imposing. But when you try and pick it up, it is heavy. So that is near and far. The Amber Mines expansion. Wow. So I've been wanting to play near and far for a while it's been on my want to playlist but i haven't gotten around to it but then saying that it has a cooperative now sounds really cool so do you think i could play with the expansion first as my first play absolutely yeah like what's interesting is this game isn't mechanically complex Mm -hmm. there's just like it's one of those games that gives you a bunch of different options and you have to suss out strategically what the best thing is to do but nothing is really hard to learn even like we literally added in every single module from the expansion in our first play with it um now admittedly the co-op mode um here's an interesting point the co-op mode potentially spoils a tiny bit of the end of the base game's campaign. And not mm-hmm. not really in a story way, but they um, in the base game, you play through a number of scenarios and then you have to do a specific thing to beat the final scenario. And this won't spoil any of the story for you, but it will spoil part of how you beat the base game campaign. And I it's it's hard to explain clearly. Um, it just mechanically will spoil something that you have to do at the end of the campaign in the base game. Okay. So I guess that's something to take note of if you want to play co-op mode. But it again, it, it doesn't spoil any of the actual story. So mm-hmm. I don't think it would be a problem for people. And when we were streaming it last night, we were like, oh no, are we going to spoil things? But it's not really. So yeah, I say you can jump in with co-op mode or any of the modules from the expansion pretty easily. Um, it's obviously it's a little bit of work to go back and forth between the regular rule book and then the expansion rule book because there's some new scoring that happens with some of the modules at the end of the game and obviously that's in the expansion rule book so when you're doing end game scoring you have to look at the regular rule book and then jump over to the expansion rule book to make sure that you're doing all of it correctly but uh, it's not too bad as far as rule books go and it's it's laid out pretty clearly I was able to look through the rule book for the expansion and find things pretty quickly every time I needed to reference something. So, yeah, I love it. I, I want to play Near and Far all the time. Although, admittedly, I've only played it two-player. Uh, I don't know if I would like it as much three or four-player, but I, I, I just don't know. I just love it two-player so much, I don't want to do it any other way. <laughs> 
all of our episodes are 30 minutes or less, we don't always get to expand completely on the topics that we talk about. Although I do think we do a good job of fitting in some really good discussions into a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Not to toot our own horns or anything. <laughs> but back in episode 25, we had an episode called Kickstarting the Habit, where we talked about Kickstarters and how our experience with Kickstarters and board games had been and how our thoughts in general about how Kickstarter was affecting the hobby. And we wanted to revisit that because it kind of feels like Kickstarter is not going anywhere anytime soon when it comes to the board game world. Would you agree with that, Ambi? It's going up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, you know what? That's true. It's definitely, it's, it's not going away. It is, it's going up and up and up. And it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's very big. Uh, I am definitely part of that problem <laughs> because back in episode 25, I pointed out that I had backed 30 board game related projects at that point. And I'm now up to 55. <laughs> uh, we won't say how long ago episode 25 was. People can do the math, but needless to say, I got my super backer badge on Kickstarter <laughs> a couple of months ago, mostly because of board games. And I, ugh, I'm just a sucker for it. I think I've gotten smarter about the games I'm backing though, because I'm often backing expansions to games that I already have or games that I've already played, either like a demo copy or something else, or that I know more about. I'm not backing things sight unseen as much anymore, mm-hmm. except for with things like Fireball Island, which I could not resist. <laughs> so. But then yeah. with the Kickstarter games you've been getting, have you been playing them? Yes, more so, so than in my early yeah. days of Kickstarter. Often, if I get a Kickstarter game, I'm getting it to the table, like, Almost immediately. Although there's one notable exception to that. Uh, So I still (laughs) haven't played Gloomhaven. (laughs) Oh my gosh, neither have I. (laughs) Okay, so did you back it on Kickstarter as well? No, so... Oh, Last so episode, we talked about it. My my neighbor had the first edition, and we were going to play it. And I was talking about that we were going to be playing it next month on episode 25. And... <laughs> Oh, it's wow. been over a year and we still have not been able to schedule a time to play it. But I think we're going to be playing it like starting next month. But I've said that before. Yeah, I, I, I got my I, so I backed the second edition on Kickstarter and got it this past fall. So it's now been mm-hmm. more than six months since I received my copy and I haven't even yeah. punched it out yet. And Ooh. that honestly, and you don't like doing that. I so. don't like punching games. So that's what's partially stopping me. If I Okay, here's the deal. Because I think I'm going to play Gloomhaven solo when I do play it. Mm-hmm. And I, if the game were in its box, punched out and organized and ready to go, and all I had to do was just learn the rules, I think I would do it. But because I have to also punch the whole thing out, I haven't even uh. taken the components out of the box, Andy. Like, I paid a lot of money for wow. stupid Gloomhaven. This is going to be a running joke, I feel, for a long time. Crystal still hasn't played Gloomhaven. And I really do think I'm going to like it. Somebody come... I've made jokes in our Slack channel and on Twitter that someone should come punch it out for me. And I'm kind of serious about that at this point. <laughs> if someone has a free day and wants to come punch my copy of Gloomhaven... Because uh, I know people like punching games, so uh, please come do that <laughs> <Yeah>. for me. <laughs> huh. 
Well, with Kickstarters, I'm kind of the opposite of you. I haven't backed anything since we last talked, and I, I had backed three projects total. But um, you're there so was much one... smarter than I am. <laughs> well, I just actively avoid looking at Kickstarters, which I guess isn't active; it's a passive thing. But <laughs> you actively <laughs> passively avoid Kickstarter. Yeah, but uh, but I did do a group buy of 18 CZ, and we had talked about it last uh, episode too. But I haven't played it yet, and we have it. We've gotten it. I think we've had it for six months or something, and <laughs> mine's still in shrink. So. I have the problem of not playing the Kickstarter once I get it, even though I've only gotten a couple games on Kickstarter. Well, I've heard other people talk about that, and I think it's because, like, you get hyped up for the thing when it's on Kickstarter, and you get excited about it. Mm -hmm. But then all of this time passes, and so your hype and your excitement potentially can cool in the time between when you back it and when you get it. I will say, though, for people getting the Amber Mines expansion in the mail right now, play that thing immediately! (laughs) It's so good! Yeah, for me, it's not necessarily hype. Like, I would still want to play it, but I have other games to play, too. And there are a lot of games I have that we haven't played. <laughs> so we just need the time to play it. All we, we always need more time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a lot of people, especially in the past, kind of liked to hate on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had heard comments from people about, you know, why are these big name publishers using Kickstarter to publish their games. And I think some people kind of lose perspective. Uh, Board games are not a super lucrative business to be in, (laughs) whether you're big or not. Obviously, like for a mass market company like Hasbro or Milton Bradley, or maybe even Asmodee at this point, because they're so large, they making money is easier because the margins don't have to be as wide. But for mm-hmm. almost every other board game publisher, even the ones that we in the hobby see as big, like maybe Cool Mini or not, or other companies like that, it's hard to make good money off mm-hmm. publishing board games. And especially if you want to publish a really big epic game that costs more money to produce, Kickstarter is a perfectly viable route to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, like a game like Gloomhaven, how how would you ever be able to produce that game just to send it to retail? Because you're paying not only like the distributor and the retailer, like everyone's taking a cut of board games and the margins are always so thin that you're you're not making money by the time it gets through all of the distribution channels. Whereas if you sell direct to consumers through Kickstarter, you actually get to profit on those margins a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Twilight Imperium 4 came out, there was a documentary, Shut Up and Sit Down made a documentary on it, and some of the discussion there, they were thinking about doing it on Kickstarter, like the pros and cons of Kickstarter versus trying to publish it themselves, and they they were thinking of doing like really epic, really expensive, and then it would have to be Kickstarter, so there, there was some good discussion there on that. It's interesting, even though I've now only played it once, although this weekend playing it a second time with you, I, I feel like I kind of wish they had done that because Twilight Imperium's been around for so long and so many people love mm-hmm. it so much. I think a lot of people would have spent, you know, the larger amount of money to get a really cool looking edition of that game. And that's not to say that the one that they ended up publishing is bad looking by any means, but mm-hmm. um, I think I would have liked to have seen what they would have done with that. Yeah. But then if they have like super deluxe versions on Kickstarter, then like people who can't afford that, uh, do they, they would miss out on it, right? Yeah. And that, that's a good point to make 
I mean, board games as a hobby are a luxury to begin with. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think, some of the Kickstarters. And I know it's easy to, you know, see everybody else. Like, here's somebody like me talking about backing a lot of board games. I I know that I'm a very lucky person in that I have disposable income that I'm able to spend on board games. That's partially because I have no children. (laughs) So I, I think that, you know, like, I've made decisions in my life and I've been lucky and that allows me to buy games. And not everyone has that privilege. And Mm -hmm. so it's important to have perspective there as well. And if you can't afford to buy all the games you want, that doesn't mean that you're less of a gamer or anything else at all. And I think some people sometimes feel like, you know, if they're not up with the new hotness, that they're not, you know, like in the in crowd. And that's not true at all. Like you should play whatever games you can and whatever games you love. And even if you don't own any games, that doesn't make you less of a gamer. You know, play your friends' games, play the games at your local cafe. That's Mm -hmm. fine too. So please do not take anything we're saying to mean that like you need to be buying games on Kickstarter or at all, because that's (laughs) definitely not the case. Yeah. (laughs) So there, there's been a lot of, it feels like there's been a lot of big, epic games that have Mm. hit Kickstarter over the past year or two. And there were some before that as well, obviously, but just, just in the past year or so we've gotten, we mentioned Gloomhaven already. Mm. I mentioned Fireball Island. That one is crazy big. It's this vacuum formed plastic (laughs) volcano. And I'm very excited to get my copy of that. I only, I only got the base game though. I didn't get the all in with all the expansions and stuff, but it was still expensive. We had Rising Sun, which hit really big on Kickstarter. Dinosaur Island, both its first and second edition. The Seventh Continent game, which everybody loves except for me. (laughs) That one also had two editions, right? Yes. Also, yeah, it was Kickstarted. Originally, I want to say, I'm going to get the year wrong, but it was like 2014 or 2015 is when the campaign was run. And then it took like two or three Mm -hmm. years for the first edition to come out. And then it blew up like crazy. And then the second campaign like made a lot of money. I backed Mm -hmm. it for $1 just so I could follow along (laughs) because I am curious like that. Yeah, but it seems like more second editions have been coming out with Kickstarter too, along with big things. That's a good point. Which is nice for people who missed the first Kickstarter. It gives them a chance to get the, sec- the second edition if if there's no other way to get the game. <laughs> and it's funny because even people who are really connected and active in online board game communities and social media, occasionally mm-hmm. something can just slip past your radar. Yeah. Uh, I was actually talking to someone just the other day. I posted a picture of my Amber Mines expansion and someone went, wait, near and far has an expansion? Like they just, (laughs) they didn't know. And that's completely reasonable. And I know some people like to get angry when publishers decide to offer Kickstarter exclusives a second or even maybe third time. For me, Mm -hmm. I kind of like giving people the ability to get a thing that they want to get and enjoy it. Like, I don't, I don't like the whole exclusivity thing. Like, I'm better than you because I have this exclusive thing and I don't want you to have it. I, it's, it, that feels icky to me. And so, <laughs> and like, when Dinosaur Island hit Kickstarter for the second time, I had played the game for the first time since the, for their first campaign, loved it. And so I backed it and I backed to get all of the cool dinosaur meeples in the different shapes that were available through the first Kickstarter. Because for me, a thematic gamer, I, I don't want to see the same dinosaur shape all over the place. Mm-hmm. I want to see all the different dinosaurs. <laughs> and if that 
hadn't, if that hadn't been available to me, I would have been really sad. And I couldn't back it the first time around for whatever reason. And now I have the opportunity to, and I think that's cool. Yeah. I, I can see both sides of it. Like I'm, I'm like you where I would want to give people the opportunity to get what they missed out on. If like they didn't know about the first edition and they get the second one and it would be unfair, I think, if they couldn't get what was available before. But then also, I guess if people back things because of it, it's exclusive, like if that's the reason they back it, then maybe that's why they're angry. I think, like, I think so. honestly, most of the people who get angry are the ones that are taking advantage of the resale market. And so they're yeah. thinking, oh, I buy five copies of this game and I can resell them for higher because they'll never be available again. Then if they become available again, obviously mm-hmm. the value is less, but I don't like those people anyway. So like if you're just buying board games to turn a profit as a, as a consumer, you're not my favorite person. I mean, you do you, but I don't, you know, you, you're taking a risk in doing that. I mean, you're taking a risk in backing a Kickstarter to begin with because you don't even know yeah. for sure that you're going to end up with the thing that you want. So I don't know. I, I want everyone to be able to play games and love games and get all of the parts of a game that they love and games for everyone. <laughs> Yay. For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word turn in its noun form. The English word turn, meaning action of rotating, came into use in the 13th century and stemmed from the Anglo-French word torn, the Old French torn and tour, and the Latin tornus, which literally meant a turning lathe. It can also be traced back to the words connected to the verb form of the word turn, including the Old English turnian, meaning to rotate or revolve, and the Old French torner, which meant to turn away or around, to draw aside, to transform or change, or to turn on a lathe. We in the board game world primarily use the word turn to indicate when it is a specific player's time to complete actions, but the word wasn't used to mean an individual's time for action until the late 14th century. While you're waiting for your turn in the next game you're playing, feel free to enlighten your friends with the background of the word turn to help pass the time. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you're looking for an interesting and strategic game about Mars, but don't have hours to play and only have a pocket to carry it in, you're in luck. The new edition of Pocket Mars is releasing at Gen Con 2018 in August. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, fun some board games for me. In the name of Blitz, bye everyone. Bye. Since our episodes are 30 minutes or less, we tend to not always expand completely on all of the topics we topic, talk about. So we want, I'm just going to start over. <laughs> okay, here we go. Everything is fine. Gray Fox Games, quality, gla- 
Glames. No. <laughs> Quality Glames. <laughs> From Glayflox Glames. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's not nighttime, but we're kind of in like night record mode for some reason, and I, I'm enjoying it. It's because it's, it's hotter. It, it is so hot. If this is in the bloopers, people, come give us some ice at, at Dice Tower Con, because we're going to be hot there, too. It's going to be so oh, yeah. humid. But we'll be inside. Inside, there's AC there. We're going to be rushing from the hotel to the convention center, like whoosh. Yeah. So the clue that we gave you for last week's alliteration puzzle, uh, I think some of you probably got it right. Ambie, if we asked them to retheme a chameleon game to be played at an unheated university, what game would that be? Cold College Colorado. Woo! So kudos to you if you got it right. Let's see if you can get this week's alliteration puzzle correct. This week, we are asking you to re-theme a mushroom collecting game to be played early in the day by those who will not live forever. Good luck! 